0: It's time for fast asleep. Welcome. You may be here because you need a good night's sleep and you've found the right place. You may be here because you would just like to listen to an exceptional story. Good choice. We're so glad you're here. Now, you've heard three parts of our latest Algernon Blackwood tale. If you haven't, you need to go back and listen to them. And it's all right. We'll be here for you when you come back. Here's the question. Will our adventurers make it off that tiny willow-filled island? All right, let's stop this time wasting. Let's tuck in, let's find out. Here's the conclusion of the willows. A sacrifice, a victim, might save us by distracting them until we could get away, he went on, just as the wolves stopped to devour the dogs and give the sleigh another start. (laughs) But I see no chance of any other victim now. I stared at him, blankly. The gleam in his eye was dreadful. And presently he continued. It's the willows, of course. The willows mask the others. But the willows are feeling about for us. If we let our minds betray our fear, we've lost, lost utterly. He looked at me with an expression so calm, so determined, so sincere, that I no longer had any doubts as to his sanity. He was as sane as any man ever was. Now, if we can hold out through the night, he added, we may get off in the daylight unnoticed or rather undiscovered. You really think a sacrifice would... That gong-like humming came down very close over our heads as I spoke. But it was my friend's scared face that really stopped my mouth. Hush, he whispered, holding up his hand. Do not mention them more than you could help. Do not refer to them by name. To name is to reveal. It is the inevitable clue. And our only hope lies in ignoring them in order that they may ignore us. Even in thought? He was extraordinarily agitated, especially in thought. Our thoughts make spirals in their world. We must keep them out of our minds at all costs, if possible. I raked the fire together to prevent the darkness having everything its own way. I never longed for the sun as long as I longed for it then in the awful blackness of that summer night. Now, were you awake all last night? He asked me this suddenly. I slept badly, a little, after dawn, I replied evasively, trying to follow his instructions, which I knew instinctively were true. But the wind, of course, I know. But the wind won't account for all the noises. Oh, then you heard it too? The multiplying countless little footsteps I heard he said and then adding after a moment's hesitation and that other sound you mean above the tent and the pressing down upon us of something tremendous gigantic and he nodded significantly it was like the beginning of a sort of inner suffocation I said Partly, yes, it seemed to me that the weight of the atmosphere had been altered, like it had increased enormously so that we should have been crushed. And that, I went on, determined to have it all out, pointing upwards where the gong-like note hummed ceaselessly, rising and falling like wind. What do you make of that? It's their sound, he whispered gravely. It's the sound of their world, the humming in their region. The division here is so thin that it leaks through somehow. But if you listen carefully, you'll find it's not above so much as around us. It's it's in the willows. It's the willows themselves humming. Because here, the willows have been made symbols of the forces that are against us. Uh, I could not follow exactly what he meant by this. Yet the thought and idea in my mind were beyond question. The thought and idea in his, I realized what Hira realized only with less power of analysis than his. It was on the tip of my tongue to tell him, at last, about my hallucination of the ascending figures and the moving bushes when he suddenly thrust his face again close into mine across the firelight and began to speak in a very earnest whisper. He amazed me by his calmness and pluck, his apparent control of the situation. This man I had for years deemed unimaginative and stolid. Now listen, he said, the only thing for us to do is to go on as though nothing had happened. Follow our usual habits, go to bed and so forth pretend. We feel nothing and notice nothing. It is a question wholly of the mind, and the less we think about them, the better our chance of escape. And above all, don't think, for what you think happens. All right. I managed to reply, simply breathless with his words and the strangeness of it all. All right, I'll try, but tell me one more thing first. Tell me what you make of those hollows in the ground all about us, those sand funnels. No, he cried, forgetting to whisper in his excitement. I dare not, I simply dare not put the thought into words. If you have not guessed... I am glad, don't try. They have put it into my mind. Try your hardest to prevent their putting it into yours. And then he sank his voice again into a whisper before he finished and I did not press him to explain. There was already just about as much horror in me as I could hold. The conversation came to an end and we smoked our pipes, Busily in the silence. And then something happened. Something unimportant, apparently, as the way is when the nerves are in a very great state of tension, and this small thing for a brief space gave me an entirely different point of view. I chanced to look down at my sand shoe, the sort we used for the canoe and something to do with the hole at the toe suddenly recalled to me the London shop where I had bought them, the difficulty the man had in fitting me and other details of the uninteresting but practical operation. At once in its train followed a wholesome view of the modern skeptical world I was accustomed to move in at home. I thought of roast beef and ale Um, motor cars, policemen, brass bands, and a, a dozen other things that proclaimed the soul of ordinariness or utility. The effect was immediate and astonishing even to myself. Well, Psychologically, I suppose it was simply a sudden and violent reaction after the strain of living in an atmosphere of things that To the normal consciousness must seem impossible and incredible. But whatever the cause, it momentarily lifted the spell from my heart and left me, for the short space of a minute, feeling free and utterly unafraid. I looked up at my friend opposite. You damned old pagan! I cried, ha, 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 laughing aloud right in his face. You imaginative idiot, you superstitious idolater. Well, oh, I stopped in the middle, seized anew by the old horror. I tried to smother the sound of my voice as something sacrilegious, and the Swede, of course, heard it too. The strange cry overhead, in the darkness, and that sudden drop in the air as though something had come nearer. He had turned ashen white under that tan. He stood bolt upright in front of the fire, stiff as a rod, staring at me. After that, he said in a sort of helpless, frantic way, "'We must go. We can't stay now. We must strike camp this very instant and go on down the river.' He was talking, I saw, quite wildly, his words dictated by abject terror, the terror he had resisted so long, but which had caught him at last. "'In the dark!' I exclaimed. I was shaking with fear.' after my hysterical outburst, but still realizing our position better than he did. Sheer madness! The river's in flood, and we've only got a single paddle. Besides, we only go deeper into their country. There's nothing ahead for 50 miles, but willows, willows, willows. He sat down again, in a state of semi-collapse, the positions by one of those kaleidoscopic changes nature loves mm -hmm, were suddenly reversed and the control of our forces passed over into my hands his mind at last had reached the point where it was beginning to weaken what on earth possessed you to do such a thing he whispered with the awe of genuine terror in his voice and face. I crossed round to his side of the fire. I took both his hands in mine, kneeling down beside him and looking straight into his frightened eyes. We'll make one more blaze, I said firmly, and then we'll turn in for the night. At sunrise, we'll be off full speed for Comorn. Now... Pull yourself together a bit and remember your own advice about not thinking fear. He said no more, and I saw that he would agree and obey. In some measure, too, it was a sort of relief to get up and make an excursion into the darkness for more wood. We kept close together, almost touching, groping among the bushes and along the bank. The humming overhead never ceased but seemed to me to grow louder as we increased our distance from the fire oh it was shivery work we were grubbing away in the middle of a thickish clump of willows where some driftwood from a former flood had caught high among the branches when my body was seized in a grip that made me fall drop really Upon the sand. It was the Swede. He had fallen against me and was clutching me for support. I heard his breath coming and going in short gasps. Look! Oh, by my soul! He whispered, and for the first time in my experience, I knew what it was to hear tears of terror in a human voice. He was pointing to the fire some fifty feet away, and I followed the direction of his finger and I swear my heart missed a beat. There in front of the dim glow, something was moving. I saw it through a veil that hung before my eyes like the gauze drop curtain used at the back of the theater, hazily a little. It was neither a human figure nor an animal To me, it gave the strange impression of being as large as several animals grouped together, like like horses, two or three moving slowly. And the Swede, too. He got a similar result, though expressing it differently, for he thought it was shaped and sized like a clump of willow bushes, rounded at the top and moving all over upon its surface, coiling upon itself like smoke, he said afterwards. I watched it settle downwards through the bushes. He was sobbing now. Look. Oh, my God. It's coming this way. Oh. He gave a kind of whistling cry. Oh, they found us. I gave one terrified glance, which just enabled me to see that the shadowy form was swinging towards us. Us. Through the bushes. And then... I collapsed backwards with a crash into the branches. These failed, of course, to support my weight so that the Swede was on top of me and we fell in a struggling heap upon the sand. I really hardly knew what was happening. I was conscious only of a sort of enveloping sensation of icy fear that plucked the nerves out of my fleshy covering. Twisting them this way and that and it replaced the quivering I'd been doing. My eyes, hmm, oh, they were tightly shut and something in my throat choked me, a feeling that my consciousness was expanding and uh, extending out into space. Well, it swiftly gave way to another feeling that I was losing it altogether and I was about to die. An acute spasm of pain passed through me, and I was aware that the Swede had hold of me in such a way that he hurt me abominably. It was the way he caught at me in falling. But it was the pain, he declared afterwards, that saved me. It caused me to forget them and think of something else at the very instant when they were about to find me. It concealed my mind from them at the moment of discovery, yet just in time to evade their terrible seizing of me. He himself, he says, actually swooned at the same moment, and that was what saved him. I only know... at a a later date how long or short it's impossible to say I found myself scrambling up out of the slippery network of willow branches and saw my companion standing in front of me holding out a hand to assist me I stared at him in a dazed way rubbing the arm he had twisted for me nothing came to me to say somehow I lost consciousness for a moment or two, I heard him say, and that's what saved me. It made me stop thinking about them. Well, you nearly broke my arm in two, I said, uttering my only connected thought at the moment. A numbness just came over me. That's what saved you, he replied. Between us, we've managed to set them off on a false tack somewhere, And the humming has ceased. It's gone for the moment, at any rate. A wave of hysterical laughter seized me again, and this time spread to my friend, too. Great healing gusts of shaking laughter that brought a tremendous sense of relief in their train. We made our way back to the fire, and we put wood on so that it blazed at once, and then we saw that the tent had fallen over and lay in a tangled heap upon the ground. We picked it up and during the process tripped more than once and caught our feet in sand. It's those sand funnels, exclaimed the Swede when the tent was up again and the firelight lit up the ground for several yards about us. And look at the size of them all round the tent And about the fireplace, where we had seen those moving shadows, there were deep, funnel-shaped hollows in the sand, exactly similar to the ones we had already found all over the island, only far bigger and deeper, beautifully formed, and wide enough in some instances to admit the whole of my foot and leg. Neither of us said a word. We both knew that sleep was the safest thing we could do, and to bed we went accordingly without further delay. Having first thrown sand on the fire and taken the provision sack and the paddle inside the tent with us, the canoe too, we propped in such a way at the end of the tent that our feet touched it, and the least motion would disturb and wake us. In case of emergency, too, we again went to bed in our clothes, ready for a sudden start. It was my firm intention to lie awake all night and watch. But the exhaustion of nerves and body decreed otherwise. And sleep, after a while, came over me with a welcome blanket of oblivion. The fact that my companion also slept quickened its approach. Now at first he fidgeted and constantly sat up asking me if I heard this or heard that. He tossed about on his cork mattress and said the tent was moving and the river had risen over the point of the island but each time I went out to look I returned with the report that all was well and finally he grew calmer and lay still and then at length his breathing became regular, and I heard unmistakable sounds of snoring, the first and only time in my life when snoring has been a welcome and calming influence. This, I remember, was the last thought in my mind before dozing off. A difficulty in breathing woke me And I found the blanket over my face. But something else besides the blanket was pressing upon me. And my first thought was that my companion had rolled off his mattress onto my own in his sleep. I called to him and sat up. And at the same moment, it came to me that the tent was surrounded. That sound of multitudinous soft pattering was again audible. Outside, filling the night with horror. I called again to him, louder than before. He did not answer, and I missed the sound of his snoring. And I also noticed that the flap of the tent was down. Now this was the unpardonable sin. I crawled out into the darkness to hook it back securely, and it was then, for the first time, I realized positively that the swede was not here he had gone i dashed out in a mad run seized by a dreadful agitation and the moment i was out i plunged into a sort of torrent of mm, yeah i plunged into a sort of torrent of humming that surrounded me completely and came out of every quarter of the heavens at once It was that same familiar humming, gone mad. A swarm of great invisible bees might have been about me in the air. The sound seemed to thicken the very atmosphere and I I felt my lungs worked with difficulty. But my friend was in danger and I could not hesitate. The dawn was just about to break, and a faint whitish light spread upwards over the clouds from a thin strip of clear horizon. No wind stirred. I could just make out the bushes and river beyond and the pale sandy patches. In my excitement, I ran frantically to and fro about the island, calling him by name. Shouting at the top of my voice the first words that came into my head. But the willows smothered my voice and the humming muffled it so that the sound only traveled a few feet round me. I plunged among the bushes, tripping headlong, tumbling over roots, and scraping my face as I tore this way and that among the preventing branches. And then, quite unexpectedly, I came out upon the island's point and saw a dark figure outlined between the water and the sky. It was the Swede, and already he had one foot in the river a moment more, and he would have taken the plunge. I threw myself upon him, flinging my arms about his waist and dragging him shorewards with all my strength. And, of course, he struggled furiously making a noise all the time just like that cursed humming and using the most outlandish phrases in his anger about going inside to them and taking the way of the water and the wind and god only knows what more besides that i tried in vain to recall afterwards but which turned me sick with horror and amazement as i listened But in the end, I managed to get him into the comparative safety of the tent and flung him, breathless and cursing, upon the mattress where I held him until the fit had passed. Suddenly it all went, and he grew calm, coinciding as it did with the equally abrupt cessation of the humming and pattering outside. I think this was almost the strangest part of the whole business, perhaps. For he had just opened his eyes and turned his tired face up to me so that the dawn threw a pale light upon it through the doorway and said, for all the world just like a frightened child, my life, old man, it's my life I owe you. but it's all over now, anyhow. They found a victim in our place. And then he dropped back upon his blankets and went to sleep, literally, under my eyes. He simply collapsed and began to snore again, as healthily as though nothing had happened. And he had never tried to offer his own life as a sacrifice by drowning And when the sunlight woke him three hours later, hours of ceaseless vigil for me, it became so clear to me that he remembered absolutely nothing of what he had attempted to do, that I deemed it wise to hold my peace and ask no dangerous questions. He woke naturally and easily, as I have said. When the sun was already high in a windless, hot sky, and he at once got up and set about the preparation of the fire for breakfast. I followed him anxiously at bathing, but he did not attempt to plunge in, merely dipping his head and making some remark about the extra coldness of the water. River's falling at last, he said, and I'm glad of it. And the humming, the humming has stopped too, I said he looked up at me quietly with his normal expression. Evidently, he remembered everything except his own attempt at suicide. Everything has stopped, he said, because, and he hesitated. But I knew some reference to that remark he had made just before he fainted was in his mind, and I was determined to know it because? Because they found another victim? <laughs> I said, forcing a little laugh. Exactly, he answered. Exactly. I feel as positive of it as though. as though. Ugh, I feel quite safe again, I mean, he finished. He began to look curiously about him. The sunlight lay in hot patches on the sand. There was no wind. The willows were motionless. He slowly rose to his feet. Come, he said. I think if we look, we shall find it. He started off on a run, and I followed him. He kept to the banks poking with a stick among the sandy bays and caves and little backwaters, myself always close at his heels. Uh-huh, he exclaimed presently. Ah the tone of his voice somehow brought back to me a a vivid sense of the horror of the last twenty four hours, and I hurried up to join him. He was pointing with his stick at a large black object that lay half in the water and half on the sand. It appeared to be caught by some twisted willow roots so that the river could not sweep it away. A few hours before, that spot must have been underwater. See, he said quietly, the victim that made our escape possible. And when I peered across his shoulder, I saw that his Dick rested on the body of a man. He turned it over. It was the corpse of a peasant, and the face was hidden in the sand. Clearly, the man had been drowned. But a few hours before, and his body must have been swept down upon our island somewhere about the hour of the dawn at the very time the fit had passed we must give it a decent burial you know I suppose so I replied I shuddered a little in spite of myself for there was something about the appearance of that poor drowned man that turned me cold the Swede glanced up sharply at me an undecipherable expression on his face and began clambering down the bank I followed him more leisurely The current, I noticed, had torn away much of the clothing from the body so that the neck and part of the chest lay bare. Halfway down the bank, my companion suddenly stopped and held up his hand in warning, but either my foot slipped or I gained too much momentum to bring myself quickly to a halt, for I bumped into him and sent him forward with a sort of leap to save himself, Well, we tumbled together on the hard sand so that our feet splashed into the water. And before anything could be done, we had collided a little heavily against the corpse. The Swede uttered a sharp cry, and I sprang back as if I'd been shot. At the moment we touched the body, there rose from its surface the loud sound of humming Well, the sound of several hummings, which passed with a vast commotion as of winged things in the air about us, and then disappeared upwards into the sky, growing fainter and fainter till they finally ceased in the distance. It was exactly as though we had disturbed some living, yet invisible creatures at work my companion clutched me, and I, I, I think I clutched him. But before either of us had time to properly recover from the unexpected shock, we saw that a movement of the current was turning the corpse round, so that it became released from the grip of the willow roots. A moment later, it had turned completely over the dead face uppermost staring at the sky. It lay on the edge of the main stream. In another moment, it would be swept away. Now the Swede started to save it, shouting again something I did not catch about a proper burial and and then abruptly dropped upon his knees on the sand and covered his eyes with his hands. I was beside him in an instant. I saw what he had seen. For just as the body swung round to the current and the face and the exposed chest turned full towards us and showed plainly how the skin and flesh were indented with small hollows beautifully formed and exactly similar in shape and kind to the sand funnels that we had found all over the island. Their mark, I heard my companion say under his breath. Their awful mark. And when I turned my eyes again from his ghastly face to the river, The current had done its work and the body had been swept away into midstream and was already beyond our reach and almost out of sight, turning over and over on the waves like an otter Good night.